right. I want to give you a chance to uh, say hey to your neighbor that's around you. Um, yeah. Um, specifically, I'd like for you to share with each other who is someone that you are most likely to make an unconditional promise to? Who, who are you most likely to make an unconditional promise to? All right, go ahead and talk about that for just a second. I'll get set up. All right. So who are some people that you talked, uh, who, who would be the type of person or maybe the name of someone that you would make an unconditional promise to? Let me hear. My husband. Your husband. Great. And what did your husband say? Wife. Wife? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Just making sure. I do. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Friends? One, one in particular? But okay, all right. All right, yes? I said nobody or anybody, depending on how big the promise is. Nobody or anybody, depending on how big the promise is. Okay, say that last part again. I said, it said, will I give you a dollar? Sure, anybody, no problem. I use anybody as a Okay. How big is the promise? How big is the promise? Ah. Okay. Um, unconditional love. That's the promise. Yeah. Yeah. Would you make the promise of unconditional love to just to anybody? Or do we have kind of some, well, I, I, I promise to love this person, but this is kind of what I would expect, or this is what I would hope, or something like So I want us to talk about uh, some promises. Um, last week, if you, if you weren't here last week, no problem. I'm um, using this whiteboard because deep down inside, I always wanted to be a college professor. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the, um, I want to use this board to help us kind of see this story of God. And at times, we'll kind of it's almost like a, a storyline. Um, but what I want us to see is the big picture of the whole Bible. Um, it's easy for us to kind of think... Um, the Bible is a really big, thick book, and we, we break it down. And sometimes, if your comprehension skills are like mine, it would be really hard to read it from cover to cover and come away with, oh, okay, this is the one thing it's saying. Um, but what we can do, what I want to do, um, continue to do this week, is talk about this big story of God. The Bible is the story of God. Um, it is about God. He is the hero of the story. It's a story for us. But it's not really about us. We are, we are not the central part of the story. So that right there shifts how we should be reading and, and diving into this big story. But I want us to see um, how this story of God involves really big promises uh, and, in many ways, unconditional promises. So uh, last week I had this, this blue band here uh, that represents God. And kind of from the beginning of time... Um, although this board would be um, inaccurate in that, there, it has a definite beginning and ending. We talked about how God um, has been, is, and always will be. He is eternally existent. Um, we use this one blue band, but we talked about God existing in three persons, in perfect oneness and unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, the, the big theological term for that is Trinity. And then in Genesis, God created humankind, this yellow band, and God's intention was for uh, God and, and humankind to live in perfect oneness. He placed them in a garden where they experienced um, perfect oneness with God. Um, Adam and Eve experienced perfect oneness with each other. Uh, they experienced oneness with creation, and they experienced oneness even within themselves. And we kind of talked about that as like wholeness. We have those times when we feel like um, we are at peace with ourselves. And so this was what was being experienced. I read this, um, this quote, and this reminded me of uh, the, the oneness with creation. Um, I'm going to write those four down. Um, and uh, what I say? Oh, yeah, self. So there's a oneness that God designed from the very beginning uh, for us to experience with God, with one another, with creation and self. And I read this, uh, this quote of John Muir, and I thought it was really good. In fact, I, I think we included it on the back of your uh, song sheet. He says, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Isn't that cool? Um, when, I was, uh, when I was studying quantum physics, um, <laughs> thank you. That, sometimes I like laughter and sometimes it hurts. And that one, <laughs> that, that kind of cut deep, okay? Um, From what I hear, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is that, is that a promise? Yeah. All right. Um, no, th there is, from what I have been told in quantum physics, just this belief that every atom is connected to every other atom in the universe. There is a big um, picture that we see in creation. We see it in relationships. Um, we feel it within ourselves, this this wholeness, this oneness, this, the Bible refers to it as shalom. It's translated as peace, but it's a whole lot more than just everything's kind of going my way, so I'm at peace, or right now I don't have any fights. It is everything has come together. I am complete, and this is what God created us for. But then we know in this story, um, and we know whether you've read the story or you're just now realizing you're a part of this story, we made it two chapters in to the 1,189 chapters of the Bible, and we experienced separation. We see that Adam and Eve made a choice, and their choice separated them from God. Now, the Bible term for that is sin. That's not a real popular word today. Um, it probably wasn't a real popular word then either. But what I want you to think about, uh, if I can spell it right, is the real issue with sin is not, oh, I, I messed up, or, oh, great, I've disappointed people. The real issue is that it separates. And we know that. We experience that even between ourselves. When we have not lived uh, according to the way that we should live among each other, it results in separation. Um, we, uh, we live in a world that is more and more awakened to the fact that we have not lived fairly with creation, and there's a separation with that. 
when we wrestle with things like shame and fear, um, things, these deep issues in our heart, we find within ourselves that separation. So I want us to know that the, the really big issue is not, oh, you messed up, shame on you. The big issue is you're not living the life that God really wants you to, this life of wholeness. And so really what I want you to see is that when we are separate, um, well, the, the Bible is, it's the story of God. It's the story of his desire for oneness with us. And when you look at all of the miniature stories, all the many smaller stories of the Bible, what we have are accounts of how humankind tried to uh, cope with, resolve, or how they felt with this otherness, with this separation. They were doing what they could to kind of restore the oneness. But we could only get so far. We were not able, we are not able, to restore what was lost on our own. And so the Bible is made up of a whole lot of little stories about how people, and sometimes nations, dealt with the results of their rebellion. How they coped with, how they tried to amend for it, how they tried to hide it. In fact, there were times when I would say some of this, it was almost like this. They would make, they made decisions just like you and I do, that even took us further away. But the story of God is not just about this frustrating life that we live that's less than what we were created for. The Bible is the story of God's relentless pursuit to restore oneness. It is, um, it is, a, it is story after story of God coming to his people. And when we see and we read these individual stories through the lens of, okay, is this an example? Is this a story of, of, of someone that just really hasn't figured out what's going on in life? They're, they're frustrated and living in otherness. Or is this maybe a story of, of an example of God coming to them to try and restore that? It, it gives you some really helpful context as you read these individual stories. And so... As you read your Bible, if you read your Bible, hopefully these type things will kind of help with um, discerning how did these pieces and how do these stories all fit together into one cohesive whole. It's the story of God and what God is doing to restore oneness with us. We, we'll look at this later, but it's, it's how he is even working to restore oneness with creation. Um, all of these things, it, this is his desire. Um, and so I want you to think through, um, let me give you kind of a, just an, a, if you're interested in doing something during the week, I don't want to call it an assignment, but uh, just something to kind of, from today to take with you. Um, pause at the end of your day and kind of think back over the day and, and ask yourself, when did I experience oneness, peace? shalom, wholeness. What were the times in my day where I felt that deep ache of separation? And just maybe that would be a way at the end of the day to acknowledge, hey, this isn't just a story of God in history. This is a story that's still being lived out today. And what a great way to fall asleep thinking, how, what, what were some ways that God tried to come to me today? 
what were some things that God did to show that he is still pursuing me and still loves me? I think that would help us all sleep a little bit better. So that's just kind of a, a way to, to examine um, your story in, in relation to the story of God at the end of the day. Um, I want us to think about uh, how, many, how many of you consider yourself to be a good driver? Raise your hand. Okay, now look around. How many of you consider to be, how many of you consider those other people to be good drivers? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Okay, we, we probably think of ourselves as pretty good drivers. Um, other people, mm, maybe not so much, okay. Um, how many of us think that we are the perfect driver? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're the only person I feel safe with on the road then. Because it, it, there is... There's a lot that we have to take into consideration. Maybe, maybe we're a good driver. Maybe the conditions around us are far less than perfect, things like this. So let's say you get in the car with me, and um, I, the first thing you see me do is put on my seatbelt. How weird would it be if your first thought was, oh my goodness, he is planning on wrecking his car? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm, you're putting it on. Maybe you put your seatbelt on because it's the law. Maybe it's just that kind of a habit that you've developed. But basically, the car manufacturers put a seatbelt there knowing that you're not perfect and the conditions around you are not perfect. There's a lot of other things that they put in a car nowadays. Just a seatbelt. They do airbags. They got these lane control systems. You got backup cameras, all kinds of things because um, not that you're planning on crashing, but they just know that to some degree it's inevitable because you're not perfect. And so what I want us to think about for our next few minutes today is that God always made provisions in case people wreck their lives. This was not something that caught him off guard when someone had a wreck, when someone crashed. God always made provisions for disobedience. God always made provision for rebellion. God always made provision for the fact that we do not live in a perfect world and we are not perfect people. So when I rely on God, it's not my way of saying, I am going to wreck my life and I don't have to worry about it. Click. <laughs> no, it's my way of saying, I, I want to... I want to drive through life. I want to live my life in the way that I believe that God designed me to. But if when I fall short, if when I find myself crashing big time, I know I can trust the one who expected this, who was, who was okay from the very beginning saying, I love these people and I want them to love me back but there's a really good chance that they're not going to love me back as well as I love them. So God made provision for our disobedience. And the way that he did that was through something that we refer to as a covenant. He made covenants with his people. It was a way that he was coming down uh, knowing that people, even if they tried or if they just totally, if they totaled their life, 
um, this covenant was a way that God would come to them and invite them to come to himself. This, uh, the Latin word for covenant comes from two words that means come together. Isn't that convenient? So God enters, uh, God, um, enters into covenants with us. He invites us into covenants with him as a way of bringing us back together. And so I want to just very briefly um, touch on three covenants that we see in the Old Testament. The first one, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this or not, but um, the Abrahamic covenant, and then there's a, a Mosaic covenant, and then with King David, there's a Davidic covenant. And um, I want us to learn from how God came to his people through those and how he continues to come to us today through those. So it's not just a history lesson. It is something that, um, that we can apply today. So in their separated state, God was coming to the people, coming, bringing them together um, through covenants. And in the Old Testament, the, the word for covenant is translated in different ways. Sometimes it means to eat together. Sometimes it means to bond. And sometimes it means to cut. Now that's going to sound kind of weird. That sounds like just the opposite of coming together. And so that brings me to this Abrahamic covenant. God promised Abraham um, a land and a people. Not just a family, but that his family would be a blessing to all of the earth. So this is the big covenant relationship that he forms with Abraham. And what's interesting in this is that it is, uh, it's, an un, it's, a, it's an unconditional covenant that he forms. Now, what's really interesting about God forming this covenant with Abraham, he is saying, you and your wife Sarah are going to have a family that becomes, that, through whom I am going to populate and bless the whole world. But here's the deal. Um, I don't know if you can see this green one or not, but this right here, this is the sticker on the back of Abraham and Sarah's minivan, <laughs> okay? Abraham and Sarah have been married like 80-something years, no kids, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I am going to bless you, I'm going to give you a family, and this family is going to be a blessing to the entire world through your family. Now, the way that they entered into this promise, into this covenant, is really unique, and this is, a, this is an unconditional covenant um, that I'm about to read. In Genesis 15, listen to, uh, to what God promises and then what they go through to seal this covenant. The Lord took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now again, this is still, it's just the two of them. But he's saying you're going to have more in your family than stars in the sky. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? 
So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Didn't, I don't know, didn't have that small enough of a knife. I don't know what the problem was. But, so just kind of a vivid graphic picture for us here. When the sun had set and darkness had followed, had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so to understand what is going on here, that was not what I just described was not foreign to Abram and, and people of his day. They would take an animal, they would cut it in half, they would lay the halves on either side, so there's like an aisle right down the middle, and then the two people would walk one by one, the, the two people entering into a covenant, would walk through it as a way of saying, if I don't uphold my end of this bargain, may this happen to me. What happened to these animals, I'm saying that will happen to me. That's how serious I am about this covenant. Now what is especially unique about this is we have a picture of God saying to Abraham and God in the form of this smoking fire pot, God alone is the one who passed through. And what God is saying to Abram is, this is, I am gonna, I'm going to bless you with land. I'm going to bless your family. Your family is going to be a blessing to the entire earth. But even if you don't uphold your end of the bargain, I got this. God alone was the one who walked through in that covenant to establish it. It was kind of like God knew in advance, there's a really good chance Abram's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be able to uphold his end of the bargain but I'm really serious about this. I want to bless the whole earth. And so God himself walked in between there. So this Abrahamic covenant is just, it's a beautiful picture of unconditional love. These next two covenants kind of build on that. The Mosaic covenant um, is, uh, was entered into after Moses led the people out of Egypt. And uh, the Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. In other words, if they were going to really receive the full benefits of the blessings, then God was going to do something, but he also required something of them. Um, in Exodus 19, we read, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he is saying, um, I'm going to establish some laws, and as you live according to those laws, as you obey those, then you will receive blessings. Now, what was still unconditional is God's love. He's not saying, I'm going to love you only if you keep these. There was just the blessings that came from God's love that they would receive. So God is still saying, I love you no matter what, but for you to really get the most out of this life that I'm offering to you as a people, then there are some ways that I want you to live. And um, Leviticus is a book that, uh, how many of you, Leviticus, your favorite book 
for the Bible. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, there's a lot of really weird stuff in Leviticus for us today to kind of look at. Um, but again, if we look at it through the lens of this was how God set things up for us to experience oneness with him, then some of these pieces begin to, to come um, together. Um, in Leviticus 17, he says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. So he's, he's saying right there, for us to experience oneness, there's going to be a sacrifice. And this is also a little foreshadowing. If you've read the story or if you've seen the movie, you know where I'm going with that, okay? And then the Davidic covenant. Um, this is where he reaffirms again, God says, um, I am going to send a king along uh, from your family in particular, and you will continue, your family will continue to be a blessing. That king in particular will be a blessing to all people. He says it in 2 Samuel 17 to, to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. Again, God is, is entering into this knowing, okay, there's going to be some disobedience, but I am going to come through. Um, I, this covenant is one that I will not break. And then Jeremiah writes this, at a time when Israel was definitely living in rebellious separation. Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And then he goes on to say, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So in other words, it kind of goes, this, this covenant that Jeremiah is promising, that God is promising through Jeremiah, is, is one that he is saying, um, I'm going to establish a covenant instead of one that has all these outside rules and these things that uh, are pressing in on you that you have to do. I'm going to do something in you so that you realize you get to do these things. You get to live a certain blessed life. And what Jeremiah was pointing to was the new covenant in Christ. It was still several hundred years away. But this is where God said, I am still pursuing my people. I am going to meet them where they are. And Jesus came down. And what I want you to see is he fulfilled all of these covenants. God didn't like cross through these and say, well, I was wasting my time there. Jesus fulfilled all of these. Listen to these uh, beginning with the Davidic covenant. We read this in Luke. But the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This kingdom will never end. In Matthew 5, Jesus has something to say about the Mosaic Covenant. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then in Hebrews 7, 
He's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for the sins once for all when he offered himself. Each of these covenants point to the gift that Jesus is to us. And God says, I want to establish a new covenant, a fresh covenant with you. Maybe you learned something new in the last few minutes. Maybe not. Um, But here's the deal with a covenant. It doesn't matter how much you know about it. It does no good until you open your life up to it. This is some of what Jane, I I thought of this as Jane was saying, God's loving us, will we receive that love? God, the story of God is one that he continues to come to us today. And he's offering this covenant relationship, an unconditional promise. He's saying, I I know you probably aren't going to be perfect, but I want to call you mine. I want to wrap my arms around you. I want us to do life together like we were originally created for. As many of you know, we um, conclude our services with a time of communion. And this is a reminder of the extent to which Jesus came down to earth, the extent of his love for us. Jesus having that meal with his close friends, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he said, um, this bread is my body offered for you. And then he takes the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, the new covenant that I am offering to you. So let me ask you, have you... Have you entered into that covenant? Have you specifically chosen to enter into a covenant relationship with God? Not, did you promise to be perfect? I'm saying, did you enter into a relationship where you say, God, you alone are perfect. You alone are really going to be what holds this relationship together. I need you. I want you to think about that. If you have entered into that covenant relationship, I want you to think about that as you come forward in just a moment for communion. If you've yet to enter into that covenant relationship, would you consider that this morning? Not because you finally figured it all out, not because you have all the answers, but just because maybe, just maybe, your story is going to be better as you invite the unconditional love of God into your life. And maybe, yeah, I can remember a time when I entered into this covenant relationship with God, but boy, this is really, this has been me lately. And I, I mean, I'm doing my best, but boy, I've made some really bad choices lately. Would, maybe would this act of communion just be for you a, a time to renew your vows, to renew your covenant with him? I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads and... I just want to give you some time to reflect on that, where you are.
in this story, what this looks like for you to be in covenant relationship, what this would look like for you moving forward this afternoon, tomorrow, beyond. Let me pray, and then um, as you are ready, I invite you to come forward and dip the bread into the cup, and this is a way of you saying, I'm entering into this covenant relationship, I'm renewing this covenant relationship, I'm, I'm so grateful for this covenant relationship. Father, we, we thank you. unconditional promises that we could never earn or deserve. Thank you. God, for many of us, we have probably, uh, where we realize how much we need seatbelts in life. I pray um, just a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude that you anticipated those times when we would be separated and yet you continue to come to us. May the story of you coming to us be the one that dominates our life and be the story that we share moving forward. Lord, receive this act of communion, our participation in communion as our way of saying yes to your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.